little breather from John and um, speak on, a, on an issue that um, was actually prompted by a phrase in our last study of, of, of John, chapter 5, that had to do with Jesus telling the scribes and the Pharisees and all the religious leaders of the Jewish people at his, in his time when he said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And uh, from that I, I wanted to kind of ex- ex- extend a little bit of, a, of an understanding of the importance of searching the scriptures by understanding it from the standpoint of what we're dealing with in the world today, dealing with uh, a lot of false uh, gospels, a lot of false teachings, a lot of false prophecies being given, and uh, especially what is being said and done in the church today. And so I wanted to concentrate on, on a couple of issues, and that is on the issues of the uh, armor of God, but in particular, the belt of truth and the uh, breastplate of righteousness. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and look, if you will, wow, I didn't even touch the thing and it went right straight to that verse. That's pretty good. We We must have got a battery or something here. Okay. Finally, my brethren, Paul says, Ephesians chapter 6. We're just going to look at the first five verses here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. And by the way, that is spiritual wickedness says. It's, it's plural. So it's more than just a spiritual wickedness. It is many uh, spiritual wickednesses in high places. Wherefore, he says, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins or your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Shall we pray? Well, Father, we ask you this morning to give us wisdom and understanding to your word as we consider this most critical topic and how these two pieces of armor. Uh, fit into each and every one of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, especially today. We ask for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit. We ask for your wisdom and understanding. Lord, we we pray. We, We want not only to understand, but Lord, we also want to apply the things that we learn today to our everyday walk. For in our everyday walk, we face an everyday battle. And it is a battle for truth. And so we thank you that you have given us your truth by having given us your word. And in this, we thank you and bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Whoops. See, now my finger's getting kind of carried away. I think I put new batteries in my thumb. That's what happened. There was a war, or there is a war, I should say. There is a war that faces every true believer in Jesus Christ in these last days. And one of the primary targets in this war is truth. We have to recognize that there is a true enemy in this war. An enemy that does not love you. In fact, he hates you with a passion. We have an enemy that cares nothing about our feelings, our emotions, our pains, and our hurts. He despises us immensely. He seeks to deceive you at every turn, and he delights in the thought of destroying you forever. The scriptures call him the devil. From his names, the devil and Satan, 
We realize that he is a slanderer, that he is a false accuser. In fact, he's called the accuser of the brethren. Let's look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, because we need to know our enemy. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Notice that it is in the past tense. He accused them before our God day and night. That's the present day. The enemy is accusing the brethren even now before the throne of God. And I say all of this only to remind you that you have a God. In complete contrast to this enemy that hates you, you have a God that loves you. A God that loves you personally. A God that loves you passionately. A God that loves you purposefully. And a God that loves you patiently. And thank God that He loves us patiently. You have a God that cares a whole lot about your feelings, about your emotions, about your pains, and about your hurts. And He cares about your failings and your faults and truly understands your struggles and your trials. He created you in His image and He delights in you because He created you in His image. And so He knows you better then you know yourselves. He desires the best for you. And so He gave you His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I know you know His name. His name is Jesus. And there are two things. There are two things that Jesus said that I find to be vitally important for us to understand this portion of our text in Ephesians chapter 6 concerning the armor of God. The first thing that Jesus said not long before he was arrested and taken to be tried for blasphemy, he said this amongst his own disciples. In John 14, verses 5 and 6, I know you're familiar with verse 6, but Thomas, one of his disciples, said unto him, Lord, we know not where you go. We know not where, whither thou goest and how can we know the way. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth. And notice, the truth. I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, now consider the, the immensity of that statement. Jesus says, I'm not only the way, I, I am the way, I'm the path that leads to the Father. And, by the way, I'm the only way. But then he says, I am the truth, the only truth. You see how tremendously significant this statement is. And the life, he says, but... To be the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no man can come unto the Father except by me. That's it. He has just established that there is only one way to be saved. And it's through him and through no other. So he says, I'm the truth. I am the truth. The other statement that Jesus made before Pontius Pilate, not long before going to the cross, when he was already having to endure an unlawful arrest and an unlawful ju judgment and trial, taken now before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate makes some statements that lead Jesus to say in verse 36 of John 18, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my 
servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am. In other words, you say right, I am. And remember that phrase, I am, what it means, what it represents. Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am king or a king. But then he says this, and I want you to take notice of what Jesus says. He says, to this end was I born. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate saith unto him that great philosophic question that's been asked down through the ages, what is truth? And we could only imagine, in a sense, we could only kind of consider what, the, you know, the, the attitude or, or, or the way in which he asked that to Jesus. What is truth? And yet, it goes on to say, and when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. I am the truth, and I was born, and for this reason did I come into this world to bear witness to the truth. In effect, he said, I come to bear witness of myself, because I am the truth. I mentioned Satan earlier. Because his first barrage of artillery against the work of God was against truth. And it was that bombardment that got us all in the troubles that we are in today. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And it all began in Genesis chapter 3. And it all began with this deception that came through this enemy of ours. For in verse 1 of Genesis 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Do you see how cunning Satan is in this respect? Did God really say you should not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, we know that that's not what God said. But are people listening to the truth, you see? Are people really focusing in on what the truth was? Which by now, Eve would have known. The woman would have known because the man would have told her. Who else would he tell? It was just them too. We had to have something to talk about. How was your day, honey? Well, okay. What'd you, what'd you do? I talked to God. What'd he say? Well, you know, the same. No, these things were significant. Why? Because what God said to Adam was what? You can eat of every tree in the garden except for one. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because on the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will begin to die. You will die spiritually immediately but then you will die eventually physically as well. That was something to talk about. That was something to know. But when we don't stay in the truth what happens? Didn't God say? Did he really say? I mean, did he really say that? I mean, did he really say this? What, what is he driving at? God didn't really say it. But then he uses a little de de bit of deception. He says, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Did he, has, has he said that? So now the woman has to say unto the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the, of the garden. But of the fruit of, of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, she kind of adds something to that. 
about touching it, but you see here again, what did she listen to? What did she hear? Which now brings the deception even deeper because in the next verse, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. What is he just saying to her? God's a liar. God is a liar. He just wants to keep you from being like him. Is this not what he says in verse 5? For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, that then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as, as gods, knowing good and evil. Do you know that this old lie is now the new age? This old lie is now the new age philosophy and religion and spirituality that we see happening all around us and even in the church today. Because people have taken their Bibles and kind of closed them and put them aside. We'll only use that at Christmas and Easter. Or maybe when we have, you know, a funeral or something, we'll take it out and we'll read Psalm 23 and then that's it. We're okay. We'll put it away again and we'll start learning about all kinds of other things. Instead of the truth. From Genesis to Revelation. So we should know all the rest of the story. We know, we know what happens. They eat of the fruit. And because of that day, we are engaged in a spiritual battle as believers in Jesus Christ. And because of that battle, we are called to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We are called upon to put on the whole armor of God, not just bits and pieces or those parts that we like. We're called to put on the whole armor of God so that we are able to stand against the wiles of the enemy, the devil, because he continues to fight us at every turn. He continues to want to make us weak in our understanding of the Word of God. Bring us to a point where we begin to put the Word of God aside and, and, and not trust it anymore as God's Word. But if we're putting aside the truth, we're also putting aside Jesus because Jesus said, I am the truth. And we go from faith and trust and dependency upon the Lord to some irrational philosophy and vain deceit. Let me give you a quick description of the dangerous times that we're living in with truth being attacked as it is. One writer predicted, we are rapidly heading for a state of intellectual anarchy in which the difference between truth and falsehood will no longer be recognized. I can almost assure you that that's happening today. That we are already in a state of intellectual anarchy in which the difference between truth and falsehood is not recognized. We can see it not only in our political system, but we see it in the church as well. A recent poll released these alarming statistics. And by the way, I, I know that the, the, the numbers have grown a little bit since this poll was taken a couple of years ago. But a recent poll, a more recent poll, releases statistics. And that is that 64% of Americans believe that Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Muslims, and others pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that God. We're all just praying to the same God. Now, isn't that crazy? Because we know that there's a difference. Because our God has said, I am the only God. So where do we get embracing other gods? In the name of one world peace. 
the same number of people, 64% agreed with a statement, all religions are equally good. Really? After seeing what we see happen in, in the Middle East today with ISIS, that's good? The beheading of Christians? The beheading of anybody that is in opposition to them in any way? That's good? Because, folks, whether you want to believe it or not, or you want to agree with the president of our United States, that, you know, who doesn't want to mention where, who the enemy really is, that's the enemy, and they truly believe that they comes, what they do comes from their book. And they truly believe that they're serving their God by doing what they're doing. Is it the same God as ours? <laughs> wow. 62% of Americans agreed that it does not matter what religious faith you follow because all faiths teach similar lessons about life. I don't have to go on on that one because we just, we just dealt with that. We're reminded by the Apostle Paul that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. A reminder that we are engaged in spiritual warfare and therefore we need to contend for the faith with spiritual weapons. That's the only thing we got. But I mean, it's great to have it. What you have on your laps today, what you have in your hands today, that's your weapon. And inside that weapon, you're told of other weapons. What we just read in Ephesians chapter 6, and of course there are others that will follow. But if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, notice what Paul says. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We're not taking a bat to the head of a person that we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with. To hit him over the head to say, no, you need a, you, need, you know, hey, listen, you, you're opposed to the gospel. Boom! And that, doesn't that just sound wonderful? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And notice that he says, casting down imaginations. Where are imaginations? In the mind. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, the mind, the imaginations, the thoughts, and having in a readiness to uh, revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Satan, you see, intends to destroy our souls. And according to this passage, as well as other passages in the Scriptures, he begins with our minds and he continues on to our hearts. And so we're going to deal with the first two pieces of armor that are defensive in nature and protect the two places where truth and righteousness dwell. Ephesians 6.14 Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now when the Apostle Paul was describing the armor of God, he was talking about more than a simple set of helpful tips. So can you imagine the Apostle Paul with Facebook? Little tips, you know. Like today, you know, you can get on Facebook and you can learn how to, how to, make, scramble, or how to make an omelet in a, in a bag. And then, you know, when it, you know, you boil it and then when it's all done because you mixed everything together, it just, it just flops right out like an omelet on your plate. Can you imagine? That's the Apostle Paul with his tips. Let him give some tips here. No, these things are much more than that. He was talking about the impregnable defenses of Almighty God. These are keys to withstanding the attacks and onslaughts of the great dragon of old Satan, the devil. They are ultimately and infinitely powerful tools available to us as Christians. And he chose to begin describing that set of armor by talking about a belt. He could have started with a mighty sword of the Spirit, which, by the way, is the, is the most offensive weapon we have. 
Or he could have talked about the towering shield of faith to begin with. But a measly old belt? Well, I have to tell you, it wasn't a measly old belt, first of all. Consider, first of all, that Paul, when writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, was more than likely chained to a Roman soldier assigned to be the personal guard to watch such a dangerous prisoner day and night. So Paul was so dangerous, man, don't let Paul out of your sight. He'll go around and, and save the world. Just like Pastor Saeed in, in Iran today. And we've done nothing to get him home. Yet he's the most dangerous man in Iran right now because of his love and faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. You don't think the enemy knows what he's up against? The guard might have been the guard of Paul might have become increasingly insecure as this apostle looked at him like an artist with his subject. But Paul's first focus was that soldier's belt. And though the belt was more a part of a person's dress or the underwear than of his armor, because it was something that you didn't always get to see, it had an essential purpose. Usually made of leather, the belt was used to gather a soldier's garments. And it was also used to hold his sword. So think about that. The belt would gird up the garments, but it held the sword. When a soldier tightened his belt, he was ready for combat. Because in the process of tightening, he drew up his tunic and secured it so it could not hinder him as he charged into battle. We cannot be hindered by the things and the trappings of this world. We have to be ready to gird ourselves in the truth of Jesus Christ and hold the belt of truth, or hold, I should say, the sword of the Spirit on the belt of truth, which is the Word of God. It gave the soldier freedom of movement while engaging in the conflict. It also gave him a feeling of inner strength and confidence. Truth, you see, truth is to be the Christian soldier's inner strength. It is to be the Christian soldier's fortitude. It is to be the Christian soldier's confidence. The belt also played a crucial role in the effectiveness of a soldier's armor. It not only held the sword, but it secured all the other pieces of the armor. Everything else was to some degree connected, you see, to this belt. That means that biblical truth holds the spiritual armor in place and it safeguards against deadly snares. Without it, we would be powerless in battle. Without a simple belt, we would be powerless in battle. Truth should cleave to us. Truth should cling to us as a belt clings and cleaves to our body. Those who have stood firm as great warriors in and for Christ have been men and women filled with the eternal truth of the Word of God. But some of you might be asking the same question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? What is truth? Jesus, in praying to the Father before going to His death on the cross, gave a clear and a straightforward definition of truth. It is so simple and yet it is so profound. Jesus in John 17, 17 said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You can't get any simpler than that. You can't get any more profound than that. To the Father, Jesus said, Thy word is truth. 
And it has proven itself time and again. In, in 2,000 years of the complete scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Hebrew scriptures and the scriptures written by the apostles of Jesus Christ about Jesus himself. The word of God is the word of truth. It was given by inspiration of God, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, literally, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, notice that the man of God may be perfect, complete, in other words, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now the last word of verse 16, righteousness, is a very key transition for us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. Very key in our transition here in just a moment, so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. His promises, God's promises, His commands, God's commands, His Word, God's Word, they are all true, plain and simple. But you might be asking another question, what does truth have to do with a belt? Well, you have to consider that Paul was not so much concerned with our physical loins or the waist area. He was not concerned about that as much as he was with our minds. I mean, we can probably thank the Apostle Peter for that since Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He said, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird them up, you know, use it like the, the, the picture of the belt that, that you gird up. That you secure, that you lift up, you know, anything that's a distraction and you gird it up and you get it out of the way because you're going into battle. This is the importance of all of the resources that God has given us to battle the, the, you know, the enemy on a daily basis, it begins up here. It begins with our mind that is, by the way, connected to our heart if we're believers in Jesus Christ. And in girding up or securing the loins of our minds, we are to test all things as the soldier tested and tried his belt to make sure all was indeed secure. It would be terrible for a soldier going out to battle, not securing his belt, and everything's flapping around, you know, as far as his, his robe and everything else, and any, any other weapons that he has on his belt, and he's constantly running out to battle this way. Is he ready? Looks like a good caricature, right? I mean, just go, hey, you know, everybody else is nice and girded, and here comes, I'm coming, I'm coming. Ungirded. Unprepared. But we prepare by testing things out. We test the things that we hear. We test the things that we see. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, he says, prove all things, which means test all things. Test it. Hold fast that which is good. As Christians, we are to test all things and then hold on only to that which is good, which is truth. And we discard what isn't. Hold on. Test. The problem with putting the Bible aside because you want to follow some book that a man has written who's not perfect, of course. Books are okay, but you do have to do one thing. You have to test every book. You have to test to see where somebody's coming from when they want to lead you into some way of 
devotion or some way of, of, of working something out in your life. I, I mean, there have been some great books written and other books that, you know, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for, but they become international bestsellers because nobody's testing it out. If anything, for a believer in Jesus Christ, we read something, it better bring us back to this to say, okay, it's got to fit what goes on in here from Genesis to, Genesis to Revelation. Not just take one verse of Scripture and say, well, this is, a, you know, this is a wonderful thing because it's a wonderful one verse of Scripture. Yeah, but there's, there's about a hundred that, that, are, that are contradicting to what, what is written around that one verse. If you take a verse out of context, then you've really messed everything up. So we're to test all things. We're to be like a group of people known as the Bereans who search the Scriptures daily, as Paul mentions, or as Luke mentions them in Acts chapter 17, during the ministry of the Apostle Paul. These, being the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind. Notice, they were ready to receive the Word that Paul gave them, but then it says, and they searched the Scriptures daily, whether these things were so. They searched the Scriptures. They dug deep into the Word of God that was given to them by Paul, and they tracked the scent. They kept following it to make sure that it was the right truth, that it was truth. And so this belt encompasses the waist on the Roman soldier. But does our conviction to the truth encompass us? Does our conviction to the truth surround us and gird us? Before we move on to the breastplate, let me, let me leave you with this one passage in the book of Proverbs. Usually when I say go to Proverbs chapter 3, we want to begin at chapter 3 verse 5. Usually 5, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We go on from there. But I want you to go a couple of verses before that. Verses 3 and 4. I want you to look at those two verses. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. Because here the Solomon says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. By the way, you never see mercy and truth separated. They're always together. Especially in the book of Proverbs. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. There's a sense of girding, the binding. Girding, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table or tablet of thine heart. Write it on the table of your heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Binding mercy and truth. The character and heart of God and the truth of God. We need to bind them in our lives. And now since the loins or waist form the pivot on which the whole body turns, thank the Lord we don't go all the way around, you know. <laughs> it just pivots. So as the, the loins or the waist form the pivot in which the whole body turns, determining the body's strength, by the way, Determining the body's strength, so is our mind. And don't forget, as a believer, the mind is connected to the heart. Determining now, our mind is the pivot for our spiritual strength. The mind is the pivot for our spiritual strength. Consider Paul in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, notice, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind that you may prove or test what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we know the perfect and acceptable and good will of God is the truth of God, which is the word of God. Which is ultimately Jesus. The Logos. The word made flesh and dwelling among us. Paul also in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 23 and 24. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Which after God is created, notice, in righteousness and true holiness. And once again, this is now the transition verse to the next piece of armor. So we move now to consider the breastplate. No Roman soldier worth his salt would ever go into battle without his breastplate. It was just not done. The breastplate was a sleeveless piece of armor, front and back, that extended from the base of the neck to the upper part of the thighs, covering both the abdomen and and what was called the thorax, which is the Greek word, by the way, used for the word breastplate, the thorax. It was used to protect the vital organs of the body, especially the heart. From the deadly thrusts of an enemy's short sword in close combat. So what is being protected then by this breastplate of righteousness? Consider that the the biblical writers often referred to various organs of the thorax and abdominal cavity. I mean, there's a a word in the the King James, for for instance, that describes the feelings and affections of the heart. Uh, Oftentimes the kidneys, they would would say, but more more generally speaking, the inward parts. The inward parts, it was the word, and it is the word reigns, R-E-I-N-S. In fact, let me show you a verse that uses that, that word. It's, it's Psalm 139, verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. I believe it's translated, for thou hast covered my inward parts. Thou hast covered my inward parts. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. But now you get the understanding, thou hast possessed or covered my reins. The inward parts. Not just so much the physical, but but the spiritual part of us. Again, in Proverbs 23, verse 16, Yea, my reins shall rejoice. My inward parts shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Another word that is used is is bowels, which speak of the soul's affections. I I tell you what, in a person's body, you can't get any deeper than that, right? So you see how they're using these terms to project a, a spiritual understanding of the deepness of the affections of a, of a, of a believer. So here's a question. Where will the enemy want to concentrate his efforts to mislead and then destroy us? Would it not be in the very seat of our emotions, our feelings, our affections, our conscience, our desires, and our will? Our our whole being is to be wrapped around the breastplate of righteousness. But here's 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 the most important question. Is it our righteousness? Is it our righteousness that this breastplate is protecting Paul certainly is not speaking of self-righteousness here since that is the worst form of sin. Self-righteousness begins with pride and pride is the worst form of sin. There are some Christians who clothe themselves in in this garment of self-righteousness thinking that their character or their legalistic behavior and accomplishments will please God and bring His rewards to them. But this self-righteousness only becomes more of a tool for the enemy. Now you think of this one verse, Isaiah 64, verse 6. We oftentimes quote part of it. Sometimes we may even misquote it, but but listen to what it says. But we are all as an unclean thing. The prophet Isaiah is saying, we are all as an unclean thing. Oh my goodness, he sure is, you know, he sure is, you know, 
making us look pretty bad here. Hey, wait a minute. Paul also said what? All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Before we come to Christ, all of us, all of us, every one of us, has sought our own and not the things of God. Has sought our own good. None of us are good, he says. No, not one. Quoting from the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms. So Isaiah says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses. Notice it's in the plural. There's a lot of unrighteousnesses in us. All our, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Righteousness is not something that we generate on our own. The breastplate of righteousness, first and foremost, is God's own righteousness freely given to those who truly believe in Jesus Christ. It is received and put on through faith as God gives us His righteousness. He clothes us. He clothes us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And biblically speaking, when we put on His righteousness, we are putting on the righteousness of Christ. We are putting on the righteousness of Christ. I want you to consider a few things that the Apostle Paul himself again has said, and I know that I've quoted Paul a lot, but I mean, we just have to remember he was aware of what the Word of God in the Old Testament said and just interprets it for us in the right way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. And what God has done, this is the reason why we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. Because in the gospel we see that God has done everything for us from beginning to end. And it was Christ who did everything on our behalf from beginning to end. And therefore, whatever righteousness that we may have, it, not, it is not our own righteousness, it is the righteousness of Him who gave Himself for us. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says this, he says, For He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That was the whole purpose of Jesus coming, to put on him, upon Himself the sin of the world, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He has put... That sin, our sin upon him who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We might be made the righteousness of God. Not by what we've done. Not by works of righteousness, as Paul says in Titus. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he has saved us. In fact, Paul says in Titus 2 verses 11 and 12, he says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Do we live soberly, righteously, and godly in and of ourselves? No, we can't. Because in our flesh, we are what? Flesh. <laughs> but where has He filled us? In the Spirit. We have received Christ. He is the king of our lives. He is the one who has taken the throne of our lives. He has clothed us in his righteousness. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at us as if we accomplished anything. He looks at what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And we just sit here going, wow, that, that righteousness humbles me. That righteousness humbles us. I'm humbled by 
God putting, clothing us in his righteousness. Kind of reminds me, you know, of, of when David, uh, when, he, when he was a young man and, and he went to take his, you know, lunch to his brothers who were out there fighting the Philistines and, and, and he notices this huge giant named Goliath out there cursing and, and uh, mocking, you know, the children of, of, of Israel and, and, and the God of Israel and all of that. You know, he says, Who's this? who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And everybody says, hey, look, just give, your, just give us a lunch and get out of here, you know? But, but, but David was just, he, he, he couldn't deal with this blasphemer. And God took him there. And Saul said, well, look, if, you know, we, we've tried everything. I mean, you know, we might as well send you into the battle. So why don't you just put on my armor? <laughs> now Saul was a foot higher, a foot taller than everybody else, and David, being a young man, was probably still, you know, still growing and, and all. And so they put Saul's armor on David, and it just didn't fit him. You know, he would have not been able to do anything in that armor. I don't need your armor. I've got God on my side. And he had his little slingshot. And he picked up five stones. Some people say, well, he only needed one stone. That's right, but Goliath had four brothers. He was just prepared. And he did what he did, not because he was clothed in the armor of Saul but he was clothed in the righteousness of God. You see, one day, the war that we're fighting is going to be over. And when it is over, of course, we'll be in the presence of our God. And we'll be rejoicing. But here's something that we were promised, and this is something that we need to look at. In Isaiah 32, 17, it says, The work of righteousness, the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. We're not going to see that in effect here on this earth. Though we will experience the righteousness of God in our lives when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And He clothes us in His righteousness. But there's a day to come. And that promise is sure. Because that promise is the word of God. And while we may be thinking, boy, this world is in such utter turmoil. It is so awful what's going on in this world today. Every day something happens. Every day something is going on. Every day wickedness and evil are rearing their ugly heads. And it hits us in, you know, in, in, in real time. Shootings and murders and beheadings and you name it. Paul to Timothy in his last letter to his son in the faith, he would say to him, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Notice The days and times in which we live reflect this very thing. That people are not enduring sound doctrine. And and you know, they would rather just get rid of us now. We who truly believe in the Word of God, we who truly stand upon God's Word, they want to get rid of us now. But you know what? Just tell them something. Tell them, that's okay, just wait a little bit. In a minute, all of us will be gone. When Jesus comes for his church. So just tell people, be patient. But if you don't want to live through that stuff anymore because it's going to get worse, folks, things are going to get worse. 
then come to Christ and be assured that he'll take you with him. Because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you will be also. Okay? We say that a lot, don't we? Why? Because it could happen at any moment. Are we ready? See? So for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know, we just want to hear what we want to hear. Somebody goes off and says, listen, you know, the Bible says that we, we can be little gods. We're little gods. No, no, no. The Bible says there's only one God. Who are you to take the word of God and pervert it and say that we are little gods? But that's a doctrine being taught in churches today. Because they have not read the full counsel of God's word. They set aside the things that don't appeal to them because they have itching ears. Oh, scratch me with the good stuff. And they shall turn away their ears, notice, from the truth. From the truth. And shall be turned unto fables. And we're not talking Aesop. Fables. Lies. Fairy tales. So what were we to do? Watch thou in all things. We are to be vigilant. We're to watch in all things. Endure afflictions because they're coming. Jesus said they would come. Paul and Peter said they would come. John said they would come. But in the meantime, do the work of an evangelist. Tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And they make full proof of thy ministry. Each and every one of you who is a believer in Jesus Christ, each and every one of you has a ministry. Make full proof of it. Don't hide it. Don't, as Jesus said in, 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 in Matthew chapter 5 in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't put a bushel over your light. Let your light so shine before men. In fact, let's go there. Matthew 5. It's not up here. We've got to go to Matthew 5 in your Bibles. You do have your Bibles, don't you? Gee whiz, I hope you do. All right, Matthew 5. Because we need to read this. We'll close with this. Isn't it wonderful? I have time. I'm looking up there. I'm like, I have time. We can do this. All right. We'll start with verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is then thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Now notice verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's a good way to make full proof of your ministry. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We want others to glorify God. So you must glorify God. Put on the whole armor of God. I know that we only touched on two of the, the pieces today, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, but please... Don't forget the helmet of salvation. Don't forget the shoes of the gospel of peace. Don't forget the shield of faith. Don't forget the sword of the Spirit, the, the most offensive weapon. It is offense. You know, what are people talking about today? Defense, offense, offense, defense, right? That's at church over there in those big stadiums. 
Well, the Lord has given us defense. And he's given us one offensive weapon, his word. The sword of the spirit. The word of God. So, don't forget those. Who knows, we might come and study those pretty soon too. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything that you give us that is necessary for us to be effective witnesses, effective servants of your kingdom and of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful for for the opportunity today to lift up our voices to you in praise, to listen to you with the ears that you have given to us, the hearts to receive it, and Lord, the minds to to certainly uh, understand it and allow it to, to, to enter into our hearts and into our lives so that we can live out these truths. Strengthen us in these things, Father, today we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I pray that you've been encouraged. I pray that you've been uh, stirred in the heart to be used of the Lord in whatever way God calls you to do until the day of Christ. For those of you that need prayer, we encourage you that uh, at the end of the song that you can come up here to the front and just wait. Someone will be here to pray for you. So you have a wonderful day. Enjoy your meal if you stay here at the cafe. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you and thank the Lord for you. And we encourage you to have that free meal today. You'll be encouraged. You'll be blessed. Have a great day. Don't forget, it's 1030 now. If you didn't turn your clocks and you just happen to be here, uh, it's 1030. So I just, I'll let you know that. Okay.